to the Community Development Podcast, Doing What It Says in the Tin, connecting the community development workforce, sharing its learning and promoting the value of the approach. My name is Russell Todd and I am in the ugly, lovely city of Swansea, the Uplands District. And from where I'm sitting, I can actually see the blue plaque that's on the front of Dylan Thomas's former childhood home. Beautiful view it is. And I am with uh, Alan Twelve Trees. Hello, Alan. Hi. It's a beautiful view you got from this front room and it's been interesting talking before we started about your background, how you came to find yourself in this city. I'm minded to sort of check myself when I talk about another community development podcast because we're going to talk a bit of terminology in a moment and hopefully it's not going to be too semantic. But a wealth of experience in the, in the field. You and I crossed paths about four years ago, both as trustees of, of the organisation Community Development Cymru. But you've got a long history in the field. What do people need to know about you? Right, well I started out as a social worker but I always wanted to do something which is a bit different and I read a book about community development in the developing world that would have been in the mid-60s uh, and wanted to become a community development worker in somewhere like Kenya and I did a training course in Edinburgh which did it kind of equip me for that but by the late 60s, early 70s community development opportunities were closing down for expatriates in those kind of countries and uh, community development work in Britain was just starting. So I got a job in Leicester as a community worker in a voluntary organisation and working on a council estate. So what brought you to Swansea? Because you've been here a fair while. Well, I've always been interested in kind of the theory and practice of community work. And uh, after five years as a community worker in Leicester, I heard of a position as a lecturer in community work studies at University College Swansea, uh, which I applied for and was lucky enough to get at the second attempt, actually. Someone else was appointed first, and then they didn't. They didn't take the job. So it's a bit of luck in all this. And then I ran a course there in community work, which ran parallel to a social work course. It was a one-year postgraduate course. It was a professional training, uh, and I worked there for about thirteen years. Curious potential butterfly effect. What if that person did take the job? Well, there we are. <laughs> there we are. Yes, I wonder. So you referred to the book, and I sort of referred to the, you know, the, the possible, and I'm sure it won't be, the semantics around sort of terminologies. Community development is the term I will use, the term I've had in job titles over the past, but your book talks about community work, mm-hmm. but even so, the, the title, because I think we're about to have the, is it the fifth edition? Yes. But the title has evolved to now community development, social action, social planning. That's right, that's right. And the, so that reflects it to your mind, there being sort of like almost like a threefold classification of community work, one of which then is, is community development. That's how I currently see it. The problem is there's no agreement, and different people conceptualise it in different ways. The chap who came up, a man called Jack Rothman, with the title on which I'm really basing my book, not the book, but the title, was Locality Development, Social Action and Social Planning. But he now recognises, I liaise with him from time to time, he recognises that community development is not just about geographical communities, but actually communities of interest. But basically, community development work is the work on the ground, working as an enabler with independent, autonomous community groups, helping them do their own thing, whether it's running a playgroup or marching on the town hall. The social action bit is campaigning on the whole, whether it's nicely or rather uh, roughly, usually against government, but in some places against the private sector, to get them to do something which they don't want to do or to stop them doing something that they're planning to do. The social planning dimension is where the paid worker, normally a paid worker, works in cooperation normally with other agencies, often aspects of government or local government, uh, in a collaborative way uh, through working parties, and joint planning groups to improve something uh, 
by working with others. Now, those three categories are oversimple. They all need to be broken down in different ways. But as a beginning way of understanding what this very complicated thing is about, I think that's the best. And to be fair, the book does helpfully, obviously, but also effectively kind of begin to, well, not more than begin, breaks that down. Because I think certainly, in my experience, doing this sort of 15, 16 years, is that you can be so immersed in it, you can be so caught up in the moment you can be you know you can develop such such wonderful kind of relationships with people in a voluntary sort of community sense you know the people that the activists the people who live there who are resident because I would be one of the, the classic examples of a community development worker who is from outside those communities mm-hmm. where I've worked in the valleys in, in Wrexham places like that places where I'm not from that you can sometimes not have the opportunity not have the time mm-hmm. not have the inclination sometimes you just want to kind of you know park it all and you know watch tv or whatever and kind of go, well, what is it that I'm actually mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. Or what else might I be doing? And I think the book is, is really good for anybody who's working in this field, you know, whatever your job title is, whatever program is funding you, or whoever your sort of employing organisation are, I think it's a really good way of just encouraging you to take that step back, even if it's just the first couple of chapters of the book, to take a step back and kind of go, okay, oh, I see, this is what I think I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Not that it's ever necessarily a static thing for everybody. I mean, people <laughs> involved in different projects that are trying to achieve different things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you talk about people, you know, recognizing the distinction between you know concern about process and a concern about product, something that you want to achieve. So, it could be campaigning against a road. I think is one of the you know when you motorway or a bypass or something is one of the ones that you, you use as an example. We all do a lot of that. But we don't necessarily take that time to step back and reflect on that. Well, you raised lots of points there. I mean, one thing to throw in is when I was a community worker on a council estate in Leicester, I lived with my then wife on the job in a council house. We lived upstairs. It was a nightmare in lots of ways, but also it was very advantageous in lots of other ways because I was kind of of the community in a way. But um, it was exhausting. And the only time I got to do any real thinking about what I was supposed to be doing is when we went away for the weekend. I actually couldn't do it on the job, and you need that space yeah. to think about what you're doing. And I'm struck of a phrase which an American guru, whose name I forget, came up with. And she said, without a really strong analysis, workers drown. So I think that says a great deal. Unless you have thought through what you're trying to do, whether you're using my model or anybody else's model, unless you've thought through what you're trying to do, you probably won't be very effective and you probably also won't be very satisfied because you'd be in the muddle all the time. No, I agree. So in terms of social planning, is there something you say in the book about how that has encouraged the growth in sort of specialist community work? So you talk about working on an estate and that's kind of my background, but then that more specialist stuff, and I think that's kind of where Communities First as a programme has gone sort of more recently in terms of working specifically with certain groups, but that's defined by age or ethnicity or, or certain sort of circumstances. Yes and no. I conceptualise it this way. I was what I call a generic community worker in the sense that I worked on a council estate. Okay, I was working in a geographical area, but within that area, I could work on campaigns, I could work in relation to older people, I could work in relation to street issues. So I could take up whatever I wanted within the normalist constraints of working for, for an agency. So I was a generic mm-hmm. worker. That kind of work is becoming... Uh, kind of not exactly a dying breed, but you're finding that quite a lot of service agencies to do with older people, to 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 do with health, um, to work to do with climate change, for instance. There's a very wide range to do with ethnic minorities, are employing what I would call specialist workers, whose job is just to work for or for the benefit of that particular mm. category of people, or in relation to that to that service area, li- like health or environmental improvement. 
So I conceptualise it like, like that. But certainly, in terms of the jobs, there are going to be more specialist workers than there are gener- generic workers. And a specialist worker often takes more of a doing-for approach, an organising approach, rather than just working from the bottom up. Because mm. if you're working in relation to older people, for instance, you're probably not going to be working in a small geographical area. You're going to be working all across Swansea. And then, so you won't be able to get people to meetings easily. They won't necessarily all be living in the same area. So you may have to do more of a, a setting up projects and doing for approach rather than a bottom-up enabling, which you can really only do well in a small geographical area. And so you talk about that facilitative role mm-hmm. that's very key to that sort mm-hmm. of more generic, as opposed to them primarily delivering a service yes. that people require, whatever that service might be, you know, support them to get back into work or you know, to exercise more or whatever it might be. And so is there, if the more generic role is becoming perhaps less prevalent... Mm-hmm. Is therefore the the facilitative role becoming correspondingly less prevalent, perhaps? It's a good question. I think I would say is that if we take, say, older people, the person who would be employed to do that work might have been experienced previously in work with older people in various ways. They wouldn't necessarily be employed because they had the generic community development work bottom-up skills. But if you're employed as a community worker with older people or with any particular client group, the hardest skills to learn are those bottom-up community development enabling skills. And I would argue that with most service areas today, health or whatever, you don't just provide services for people. You are encouraged increasingly for a whole range of reasons to involve that community of interest um, uh, in articulating their own needs, taking action themselves to improve their lot, rather than just doing things for them. The world has changed a, a huge amount in that respect over the, lo- over the last 20 years. But the sad thing is that those facilitating and enabling skills in a collective sense, that is facilitating groups, are not taught much anywhere, mm-hmm. nor are they often understood as, as, being, as being vitally important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think, I think one of the frustrations is where you find maybe certain individuals within a, a large organisation, whether it's the health service or within local government or some way, who, let's say, for you know, shorthand, get it, mm-hmm. if they were to move on, very often you get this almost like knee-jerk reaction back to what is the, 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 the maybe sometimes a bit more of a conservative sort of status quo or previously how things tended to be delivered or how that's consultations right. happen. And that's, that's always frustrating because I suppose there is a policy driver in Wales from, from Welsh Government, things like you know the, the new Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, the new Social Services Act, you know reviews to public services about putting the, the customer at the heart of that in terms of their needs. Certainly, I know from a community's first perspective, we've learned an awful lot from the substance misuse sector in terms of how they work with clients on an individual mm-hmm, basis, mm-hmm. notwithstanding what you were saying about the generic mm-hmm, sort of facilitative mm-hmm. role, but where, because the programme has moved in this direction, the way you've got people who sitting down with individuals, helping them to get back on their feet after addiction, mm-hmm. coping with addiction mm-hmm. and all of everything that comes with mm-hmm. that. So th- thinking about you know, outcome models, outcome mm-hmm. stars, mm-hmm. different methodologies for kind of chronicling or, or measuring progress. Mm-hmm. We've learned a massive amount and we've imported mm-hmm. that, I think, into mm-hmm. the programme, which is not per se to say that we've imported it into mm-hmm. community work, but certainly into the, the configuration and the, and the delivery and the design of a community's first as a programme. And that's been, I think, 
positive by and mm-hmm. large. Mm-hmm. And you've got those drivers, and what it is doing is putting people at the heart of that mm-hmm. intervention, that project, whatever you want to call it. But all too often, if there's any trauma to the funding, to the program, mm-hmm. it can kind of just reset itself to a, yes, yes, okay, yes. let's deliver stuff to people. There's lots of points you make there, but when I say quickly, is that if you've only got about six months of funding left, you're going to work in a direct way, directive yeah. way, doing full yeah. way, yeah. because the enabling work is slow. Um, and if you've only got a short time, and if you haven't got the mental headset, which gives you confidence to do that, yeah. you're not you're not going to do it. But I mean, let's just say, take one thing about withdrawal. I mean, who teaches in the Community's First Programme about the importance of withdrawal? Mm-hmm. Henderson Thomas, who write, who've written a very good book about community work, have 11 pages on withdrawal. Really? Yeah. And yeah. so you have to think about the day you start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, I'll give you a little, a very tiny example. I was working with a tenants association with a chap who was a secretary of the tenants association. He was only about twenty. He hadn't done much about much of this before. He was scared about writing, writing letters to the local authority, which was his job to do, taking up various various issues. So I said to him, "Okay, this time I'll write the letter for you. But next time we'll do it together, and the time after that you could do it yourself." And that's an example mm-hmm. of how you have to think about withdrawal the day you start, because otherwise you create dependence. And so much community work creates... And I'm banging the table. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told not to bang the table. And so much community work, tra- or so-called community work, creates dependence. That's why I emphasise in all my writing, if you can, it's not the only thing you do, but if you can, start with enabling in your head and getting the hell out as fast as you can. The podcast... Banging the table to emphasise a point is allowed. To demonstrate the passion. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's maybe the one the one exception. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that I've always what's the best way of putting this? I've always been slightly cautious of when I've heard people say it, and I've heard people say it an awful lot. Is um, well, of course, you know, ideally you do yourself out of a job. That's not true, actually. I've heard people say it a lot, and I've thought, well, okay, if that is what you're working to achieve. And I want to explore what you've just said there. But if that's what you're looking to achieve, well, how is it going to happen? What, what are you doing? What, what is that? If that's the end game, what is the... Well, you have, the to, route, you have to think about the day you start. And my gut feeling is I don't think many people, if any, do think about that. So there's a danger that that becomes a bit of a glib exactly. aspiration. And I think that doesn't do us as a sector much good at mm-hmm. all. You have to think it through. When I was working in Broadstone in Leicester... I explained to groups I was helping set up that my job was to help them set it up and then pull out. And I said that, said that up front. It took people about two years to realise that that's what I was there for. They expected me to be at their events and just be a part of the committee and doing things. Now, there are times when you do do that, and I'll give you another example in a minute. Uh, but, but you've got to get across you're there to help, help them. Unless you do that when you start you're not going to be successful you'll, you'll never get out and you'll, you'll create dependency I said earlier that doing yourself out of a job is well, I didn't use the word simplistic but that's what I meant because the poor communities stay poor yeah the more advantaged people in poor communities tend to move out so you've got a churn going on and there's a colleague and friend of mine called Gabriel Shannon who's written and written quite a lot about how you measure strong communities and he says one measure is the number of community groups. Well, community groups, they grow and they die. And with people moving in and moving out, there's always stuff to do. So you can certainly withdraw from work with particular groups, but because of the reasons I've just said, there'll always be 
more poor people moving in. There'll be always be more things to do. There'll be changing policies. There'll be more policies from local government coming down, which make, don't make sense, which you will need to campaign against or whatever. So in poor communities, you need a permanent community development work presence, which will you will help set up some groups, then you will draw from those groups. Some of those groups will collapse. You may be involved in a social planning way, working with directly with other agencies. So you don't work yourself out of a job very easily, but you do work yourself out of if you've got any sense, you work yourself out of work with particular groups. One of the things you talk about, and, I, and, and this, this does fascinate me actually, because certainly I think it's fair to say that within Communities First or the increasing reliance on, let's put it in different, another way, Welsh Government funding mm-hmm. for this sort of work, mm-hmm. these sort of activities, mm-hmm. is um, a danger that things become a little bit consensual. Mm-hmm. It's, it's doing the bidding of, of government, less questioning. Certainly, what what you would call as a paradigm that's oppositional, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of interested in that as a particular paradigm, and kind of comparing where Communities First has been as a program, and whatever may come next, you know, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. they'll become a little bit more of that mm-hmm, oppositional mm-hmm, type mm-hmm. work. Because certainly in the 70s, when you were finding your feet in this field, mm-hmm. you had urban unrest, social mm-hmm, unrest, mm-hmm. massive mm-hmm. traumas to the economy, mm-hmm, oil crisis, mm-hmm, all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Uh, post Second World War, mm-hmm. political consensus is beginning to mm-hmm. f- fracture, mm-hmm. and you've got this rabble rousing, this kind of radical edge. People are finding people embracing feminism. We talk about feminist mm-hmm. sort of approach to this work, mm-hmm. as well as a socialist one. But it's 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 opposing changes. Are we all now a little bit nicer and cozier and a bit less questioning? It, it, it bothers me. It bothers me. Are we go. Are we losing the the harder kind of core to this? Hmm. Well. There's a kind of mental tradition in community development work which emphasises the campaigning. And some people tend to be on the left in terms of their personal, political, or community development philosophy. Think of community development within this kind of kind of campaigning paradigm. Mm. It's very mm. difficult to do that if you're if you're paid by the state. Mm. I'm involved otherwise with Citizens UK, which doesn't take money from the state, and that is involved primarily in campaigning and if and if and if you if you want to get involved with mostly campaigning you can't really take money from from the state you have to raise it elsewhere but that raises who's raises the question of who's actually going to pay you to do it mm-hmm. the other thing i would say is that which is trustees of small organizations is a, a real sort of challenge that's something that you and i have talked about yes indeed in, in, a, in, a, in a trustee capacity mm-hmm. but yeah but all i have to say is you actually have to be very clever about it if in fact you've got a job description which says um, you've got to serve a particular community and you're paid by government. What you shouldn't do is lead a demonstration against the town hall on day one. Mm. What you need to do is work your job description. So to spend 80% of your time for the first, I don't know, 18 months doing things they want you to do. And then if you find there's a, an area which needs some campaigning work, a demonstration at the town hall or outside a polluting factory or, or against a proposed road scheme, I've been involved with one of those, then you spend a swim out of your time doing that and you'll test out the boundaries. Mm-hmm. If your job is as, as an enabler, your defence, if that's the right word, if you're attacked for it, is to say, well, this is what the community want to do. The community want to oppose this road or, or campaign to get some new facility in, in the area. My job as working with the community, not to lead them, but to advise them, taking a back seat, is valid. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're clever, you can sell that to your employers. But if you go to bullet gate, you're not going to survive anyway. Mm-hmm. But particularly with a campaign, if you're paid by the state, you have to think about how you do that and not to get fired. Mm-hmm. Common sense. 
I remember in a, in a previous role I had, we, we put on a, like a seminar workshop for people involved with community service partnerships about the planning system. They all wanted to know a bit more about the planning mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. It seemed to kind of something that kind of happened. Relied on counsellors maybe to explain and to and to, and to make mm-hmm. representation mm-hmm. about it in terms of applications and things. And we put a seminar on for them, and people found it genuinely fascinating. Primarily for the reason that they kind of thought, you know what, I've had to walk a mile in their shoes. And one of the exercises we said is there needs to be a new road put in to, to help these mm-hmm. communities mm-hmm. to reduce congestion here. We need to find somewhere for a water treatment work or an incinerator or something, whatever it was, mm-hmm. some, some big, yeah, well, that's probably noisy, that's stinky factory. Mm-hmm. Is the borough. It was the borough. It wasn't Imaginesville or come anywhere or something I think we've used in Wales in the past. Abba, <laughs> come Abba, anywhere. Abba somewhere. <laughs> it, was, it was the actual county borough and, and people found that a really difficult task, having to weigh up because we put it there, we're going to annoy those. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly people just kind of walked the mile in someone else's shoes. But equally, the people in the planning system, the planning sort of department, were able to say, okay, well, these are some of the reasons, this is the rationale behind mm-hmm. decisions that have been made previously. And it made for much less dagro then further down the line when it came to what were then sometimes difficult That's decisions right. mm-hmm. or, or people not understanding what you had and what we'd kind of perhaps schooled and, and, and supported the development of were local advocates for the system, which is not to say they then suddenly supported everything that the local authority ever did, mm-hmm. but were able to kind of go, well, we have an understanding of what considerations need to be mm. need to be made mm. and sometimes you know decisions are difficult and that's, that's, oh, that's well, yes. many of them are and I think I think that's kind of like a, a similar sort of sort of I've thing. I've got a little story there actually we we set up something called Bronson Action Committee which actually turned into a kind of um, partnership really between local government people largely some professional workers on the estate and also local people uh, and at one point uh, uh, Eddie, that's his real name as it, as it happens, who was leader of the Age Concern Group, raised something with uh, the Assistant Director of Social Services for Leicester. And uh, Ken, that's also his real name, said to me, oh, that's a very good point, Eddie, would you write to me on that? Now, Eddie was extremely surprised and tickled that someone actually said to him across a table, would you write to me on something when he could have heard it? But of course, that's how bureaucracies work. They need it on paper. And that's a small example, it seems to me, of, of what you've just said, which is how when you bring people together, they empathise on a much smaller scale. They empathise with what other people have to face and how they work. And, and it seems to me that that's a, that little example, little cameo, mm-hmm. said a great deal to me at the time. And I put it in the book, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah no, absolutely. So in terms of, again, the, the breadth and length of your experience in this, in this sector, you talk about the 70s, working in this, and again, notwithstanding the kind of the social and economic sides, you know, it traditionally, let's be honest, I'm not a huge amount has changed, devolution of power devolved, is still power retained in some cases, but in the 70s you'd have been doing this, a highly centralised British state, yeah, it was more 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 yes, you now have devolution to some degree, and again, mm-hmm. this is not going to be going down the path of dissecting and analysing that, but Welsh Government comes in in sort of, what, 1999, mm-hmm. programmes like Communities First begin to find their feet 2001, mm-hmm. 2002, mm-hmm broad political consensus behind the programme to be fair I mean I know sometimes the old politician here and there will use it as a political football but there has been broadly a consensus and I know that when I've spoken to people in the other home nations the longevity of that programme they look upon quite enviously the political consensus behind it they look upon quite Mm -hmm. enviously and I'm I'm interested then in, in that respect because it's a different agent of the state that's funded a lot of the work that's taken place mm-hmm. in Wales over mm-hmm. the last decade and a bit. But again, is it as questioning as, as perhaps, or are we as questioning as, as it should be, and reflect away from the, 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 the white noise of it all? Mm-hmm. It's never really been designed into these things. And I wonder, 
Is it because if it were, people would begin to be more questioning, begin to be a bit more oppositional, begin to be a bit more critical? Or whether it's just a way of encouraging acquiescence and an unquestioning... Well, there's lots of things I could say to that. I think part of the thing I've been working for all my life, really unsuccessfully, is try to get community development work accepted as something like a profession. Yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. it is so difficult to do. Yeah, I yeah, suppose yeah. I'm a, well, I'm certainly a UK expert in it. I'm one of, one of the best-known people in terms of writing in the UK about it, and I've done a lot of it, and I've taught it and researched it. Um, in terms of doing it, I might give myself 7 out of 10, and mm-hmm. best, really. Mm-hmm. And there are virtually no courses. It's been hugely dumbed down. There are quite a few little short courses on working with community groups or whatever, which might take five, you know, 10 days spread over, I don't know, three, mu- three months or something mm-hmm. like that. The difference between the unpaid volunteer and the professional worker, that difference is fudged. I think it's been hugely dumbed down. It's extremely difficult to do. When you think there are health workers, there are doctors, there are social workers, there are teachers, all kinds of other, other professionals have two or three year training and agreed values underpinning all that with a kind of accepted body of knowledge with all the disagreements that happen between yeah. different advocates or different dimensions of it. Community development work has none of that, certainly in Britain. And in most other places, other countries not. But without those frameworks, the centre cannot hold, as I think Yates said, but in a different context... There is, there is no centre. It requires, haha, it requires knowledge, it requires skills, and it requires qualities. Mm. Yeah, and of those, the last, the last is actually in the, in the, the most important. Are you a hard worker? Yeah. Are you prepared to look at yourself yeah, critically? Yeah, yeah, All those yeah. kinds of kinds of issues. And you can't learn that in five minutes. And you can't learn it just by doing it. You actually have to have someone mentoring you. You have to reflect. I mean, when I was working as a community worker, I wrote a diary every night it only spent only spent about kind of three or four minutes on it and in the end I was only doing it fortnightly but when I finished work I had these 10 or 15 exercise books which kind of became the basis of my my writing but also it became the basis of my thinking it forced me to think things through uh, and so I'm not blowing my own trumpet there but but you need that kind of rigor if you're going to get anywhere but I also had the advantage of having done a diploma in it and, and enjoyed reading and was in various uh, committees like I was chair of the Association of Committee Workers for a year, years ago which brings which forces you to think and work out what you think come back to what I said earlier unless you've got a good theory you drown yeah. or you just do bad work you may not drown but you just do bad work so was so was that diary then that diary keeping was that just something intuitive you, you wanted to do and you just did do or was that something you'd been encouraged to do the, the professor or? who supervised me for my master's degree said I should do it and I did it yeah yeah. he's taken retirement but I remember sort of John Duff who's worked with CDC and many people in Communities First will know and have a massive amount of time for mm. I remember him saying any number of times that one of the most important things tools that, you know community, good community worker needs is a, is a notebook and I think yeah, I think there's a lot I think there's a lot to be said for that could have used a notebook as well might not just well, having a notebook can be empty but you know but like joining a gym and never going there. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> No, I did um, reread them. I did reread, and of course you can other you know, ways of doing that. So you've got more you know, technology available, perhaps these days, in terms of just capturing your, mm. your thoughts on, on on your smartphone or something. There was an excellent project with, I think it was the the, the Bromford project I follow on, on Twitter, and there was a, a chap starting in a housing context and um, for, for for the for the in, in a kind of an estate sort of management type role, but very much wanted to put. You know, the neighbourhood first, the needs of the neighbourhood, mm-hmm. people first, mm-hmm. people in control, mm-hmm. setting the agenda. Mm-hmm. And a very um, progressive and perhaps way of enabling people to, mm-hmm. to, to have a say about their, their future. Mm-hmm. 
And basically, one of the things, and again, social media is brilliant for this, and, it's, and obviously we've gotten smartphones and the like, he kept a, a visual diary. And at the start of every day and at the end of every day, he um, basically sort of said, right, okay, today, uh, I'm going to try a bit of this, I'm going to do this, and see how it goes. And um, talking in, in, the, in the car, that's where he kind of kept the phone. And it was, it was very, 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 very powerful, actually. Because immediately some things, assumptions are being challenged. Mm-hmm. Immediately within the course of this, that day, that working day mm-hmm. or over a couple of working mm-hmm. days, expectations were being changed. Mm-hmm. Met quicker than they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Very quickly realised we weren't necessarily going to be met at all in that in that short period of time. As long as you use that to reflect, there's yeah. lots of different ways of doing it, but you Absolutely. have to go back to it to use it to reflect. Yeah, yeah. and it's a very time theme, but it was also a very potentially exposing way of doing it because it's all in good sort of doing that and mm-hmm. reflecting kind of yourself individually, but basically putting on Twitter to sort of ten well, thousand followers. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, is, is, is potentially one thing as I'm well. quite pleased about in my book. I actually write about my mistakes. Not many other people do that. Yeah. We all make mistakes a lot of time. You've actually got to If you don't make mistakes in community, you're probably not doing a good job yeah. because you're taking risks all the time. You know, yeah. do you intervene in this group? Do you not inter- intervene? Do you challenge somebody? Do you support a group which, in fact, no one else in the committee wants? Which you might have done. I've done that, and the thing collapsed. You're making mistakes all the time. If you're not making mistakes, you're not you're not doing a good job in a way. Yeah, You've yeah, got yeah. a lot of it is risk and making judgments. That's where a lot of learning happens as well. Isn't Absolutely. It? Well, you it's tend it. to learn from when things go wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what they all say in elite sport, isn't it? You know, in terms of well, that's right. managing that's right. performance. That's right. Um, I think one of the things that that stymies that though is. I mean, if you've got an inherent risk of current culture, culture that helps yeah but is that kind of that that almost that blame culture type thing mm-hmm. or that target missed is a is a is a is a you know is a failure mm-hmm. and a kind of you know I really bristle at that kind of that some of that, some mm-hmm. that language mm-hmm. in terms of well you know we failed to hit a target well mm-hmm. yeah but you might have you know not missed the point uh, you know to to, to to coin a phrase so I think that sort of embracing failure in inverted commas or recognising when someone well I wasn't quite sure embracing it I mean learning from it well embracing I suppose not embracing the failure but embracing that that, the, that there is something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. embracing within, the concept that's right, that's that right, that's and, right, and, and yeah. learning from that I think yeah. is is quite you know is, is quite useful very useful perhaps I mean that one mistake I made which sticks in my mind uh, with a group I was helping set up um, I was working with a potential leader of it he was kind of acting chair and we talked in a private meeting before the group about who we thought would be good as chair, treasurer and secretary. And I thought at the meeting of this embryonic, embryonic group, he as kind of acting chair would come in and say, well, okay, can I have recommendations for, the, for, for these positions? And in that discussion, he and I could then gently put forward the people we thought should be uh, chair, secretary and treasurer. Instead, to my great embarrassment, he got out a bit of paper I'd written from him and said, Alan thinks that these three people should be chair, secretary and treasurer. And of course, everybody said the group had been rigged and I felt about two inches high. And I hadn't realised that his level of sophisticated understanding wasn't wasn't high enough to have handled that mm. with, with, with any kind of sophistication. Mm. 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 There was a huge row in the group and the group never met again. I mean, that's an example of how... But I mean, next time, I would do that differently. Yeah. I would say, are you, are you, yeah. you know, how you, I, I would say, to, well, how are you going to present this? You know, shall we do it by just asking mm. for mm. recommendations mm. and then, then you know, th- throwing our ideas in? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's yeah, a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I learned from that one, I think. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine cringing away yes yes yeah, yes that yeah. sticks in my mind and people will 
people will remember that. People, for some people, those those sorts of things will will annoy, will antagonise, and they will think yeah, well, actually because yeah, yeah. it's about trust ultimately. Well, that's right. People, that's right. Think, well, actually, that's, no, that's, that's I thought right. I could trust this person, but you know, that's right. I thought I knew what the the actual agenda was. Mm, what that's the, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 One of the things you talk about is you, you conceptualise these different approaches to community work mm, and community mm, action is, mm, is, is how you call it. And There's probably a limitation to how we can kind of talk about this in, in graphical terms mm, mm-hmm. or visual terms in an audio medium like this. But one of the things you talk about is, and I touched on it earlier, about this concern about process as opposed to a concern about product. Mm-hmm. And what I found quite interesting was this support for what you call expressive community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. groups and activities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then around supporting the instrumental. That's right. And some That's of the examples right. you've given there are about supporting the instrumental. So for somebody who's immersed in this, and they will know the distinction between, and they will probably know what they would need to do and what mm-hmm. qualities, for example, mm-hmm. they would need to have, what knowledge they would mm-hmm. need to draw on mm-hmm. to set the two up. But they wouldn't necessarily recognise it in such conceptual terms. No. No. So an expressive community group or expressive community activity would be something such as what? Mum's coffee morning. So I inherited from my predecessor, who was a community worker, a Thursday morning, coffee morning, when some mums came in, nutted, smoked to death, we allowed smoking in, in those days, in, the, in our neighbourhood centre, moaned about their husbands, and that jelly had a jolly good time. I looked after the kids in the kitchen to, 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 some, to some extent, but then we got a volunteer in to do that, and I used to sort of chat to the mums. Presumably they left a bit happier, but they were only concerned with the here and now. Mm. Yeah, they were concerned, having a good, good time. Now, if it worked, perhaps when they got home, they weren't going to shout at the kids so much. Who knows? There are lots of things like that. They're kind of social groups. Many groups are like that. I mean, many youth clubs are like that, but youngsters come there to play table tennis, to natter, to, I don't know, whatever else they do. Well, well, you could say that as well. (laughs) But their job is not to change something. There'll be a leader to that. I mean, I's the leader of that. And another one was was the, it's called the Silver Ladies, a woman called Mavis used to run it. She used to come in, we organised transport to get these old ladies, one or two men, mostly ladies, to the neighbourhood centre. And she, I think she used to do bingo with them. They had a cup of tea, they had some cake, they, they nutted with, with each other. Expressive group. They weren't then campaigning for better services for older people or whatever it might might be. They were concerned with the here and now. Yeah. Now, an instrumental group is where you're trying to change something outside the group. Okay, the expressive group is a, le- a leader. Maybe it's used to kind of come and make the tea and talk to them and, yeah. and, or, 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 and things like that uh, but uh, an expressive group is trying to change something outside the group uh, whether it is running a carnival and we had a very good carnival committee which actually ran an excellent carnival for, for several years so they had a chair they had a secretary they had to raise money they had to work out what needed to be done they had to delegate tasks they had then had to report back and they had to do do those tasks they had to organise something outside themselves yeah, yeah? Another group was uh, we had a proposed motorway through there, which is eventually built as it happened. There was an anti-motorway group which I serviced. Now this consisted of people who were against the motorway, and we all worked together. I was facilitating facilitating them, and we did a, did a survey about what people thought about the motorway. They didn't want it, and so then that group campaigned and gave evidence of a public inquiry against the motorway. Now that was a, also an instrumental group, mm. but that had to be a committee, had to be extremely organised yeah, 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 to yeah, do this yeah, campaigning. Yeah, yeah. And so that was an instrumental group that's doing things outside the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of people do not make that distinction. Uh, and it's one of the most important. I don't think, uh, it's in some of the sort of quite old sociological writing about group work as it happens. Right. It's not in community work theory apart from mine as far as I know. And certainly you make the point about sort of terminology when we, we started off by just kind of 
probing use of the term community development versus use of the, the term community work. But you sort of make the point, and I've sort of said this a lot as well when I've been working with people, it doesn't matter what you call things, it doesn't matter what the label is, exactly. but the, the kind of conceptual and theoret- theoretical underpinning is important, mm-hmm. and you've borne that out mm-hmm. with, with that with, with mm-hmm. a couple of those examples. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine from... Uh, from Los Angeles, uh, Cheryl, um, uh, very experienced community worker. Um, she used to work lecture at uh, the University of California, Los Angeles, when I was uh, there for a year. And she talks about this work. She calls it staff work. Now, I'll give you a little example, a very small example. The Carnival Committee, which I referred to earlier, organised this brilliant carnival. But um, it was on a big in a big park, and there were some railings around the park, but they weren't very good. And so they had some ropes, uh, and they had particular entrances, but there were three or four entrances. And they could never get enough... They had volunteers to run the stalls, mm. but they didn't have volunteers to man the gates. Or person the gates, I suppose I should now say. Anyway, so I had lots of contacts with the university. So I used to organise ten or so university students to, to come, just to come and man the gates. Now, that's doing f- things for a group. They couldn't do it themselves... Mm. You could call that kind of social planning in a way. Well, she, Cheryl calls that staff work. Right. Yeah? yeah, yeah. It's work not as a Okay, I was acting as a facilitator with the Carnival Committee to do various things, advise them in various ways, mostly in their group meetings, providing them with information, providing them with contacts. But I was doing some things for them. Now, at a very, at a very local, low level, you could call that social planning, mm-hmm. if you were, because doing things for people. Yeah. Now, Cheryl calls that staff work. It's quite valid, but she has a different yeah, words yeah, for it. Yeah. It's vital to do, but within a, within a paradigm, I'll use that word if I may, it's a way of thinking about how you structure the world, that within the paradigm of your main work being enabling and facilitating, but you do some of this doing for as well. And of course, there's much more doing for. Sometimes you're running... Another example of doing for would be, we had a tennis association, it collapsed. Yeah. Housings, houses were being modernised on the estate. It was vital to get a sense of what people thought about those, those, that modernisation. So I then carried out a survey of satisfaction with the houses that had already been modernised, about a quarter had been done, and then wrote a report, which we then referred to the housing department to try to get them, well, I'd referred it to the housing department, in liaison with some of the community organisations, to get the housing department to rethink some aspects of the housing modernisation. Now, that's what I was doing for the community. I was doing it by liaising with the community. didn't do it just off my own bat. But I was doing for the community to try to do community benefit. To, to great community benefits. Now, I, I, that would be an example of social planning in the sense where I was, in a sense, working directly with an agreement from the community, with the, with the authorities, to try to bring about a change which they couldn't, which they couldn't do themselves. The Tennis Association wasn't able to do that themselves. They were actually a bit fatalistic. They said, well, local authority won't, won't listen yeah, to us anyway. And then yeah, later, yeah. the Tennis Association collapsed anyway. Yeah? So that's an example of doing four. But you need to do it within this paradigm again of your main work being facilitating, but on top of that, you're going to be doing some of this directly liaising with, let's mostly government in Britain, on their behalf. I can think of something in my own experience in, in the last couple of months, actually, where there was a concern that what we were being asked to do was a little bit too close to a particular agent, and mm. I had to take a step back and thought, actually, are we compromising our values mm-hmm. if we get involved in this in mm-hmm. this piece of work? You have to think about that all the time. You have to, absolutely. And... I think the, the view in the end was, well, we can either do nothing and for certain not influence change or influence a, a particular agenda, or we can get involved, 
with some reservations, healthy reservations that we never lose sight of, but actually have a better chance of people shaping and influencing something. Mm. You've got to make moral choices all yeah, the time, yeah, and they're yeah, partly yeah. professional and partly, partly personal. I'll give you another example. The estate I worked on was quite uh, deprived. Nearby was a triangular piece of ground about the size of a football field, a bit smaller. And some people in the community had always wanted there to be a football pitch there, but it was a bit small, really. Anyway, there was a proposal, I think from the local authority, it might have been private, I can't remember, to build some houses there. And within that, there was going to be homeless accommodation. I think Actually, I think it was mostly for homeless accommodation. Another, another local community didn't want it at all and they said well, it's, the homeless accommodation is always going to be near our housing estate we, ju- we just don't want it and they said we want a football pitch there yeah. now my moral position was that I think the community is on shaky ground and with reluctance I did support them and the idea was defeated mm. but that was a moral choice for me and I, I feel bad about this to this day because I don't think the community was in the right and what do you do if you've got a group which comes up which... Well, to take a simple example, we had elections coming up and the very right-wing uh, organisation that was called the National Front in those days wanted to come and make a presentation to our action committee about their their position. And we'd had the Labour and Conservatives and Liberal come and talk and these National Front people wanted to come and talk as well. So I actually let them, but a lot of people in the group didn't like it. I should have put it to the group first, but I didn't really think. So there are moral choices. and, and Always. And, and you have to think those through. And if you do a knee-jerk reaction... Maybe the decision I, I took wasn't actually the wrong decision, but I just said, yes, come along. I should have thought about it. But you've got to be on your toes all the ripping time. I remember going to a meeting, and the chair of that meeting is a retired miner, massive amount of time for, in his 70s at the time. And this was around, actually, around the... What would it have been? The 20th anniversary of the minor strike mm. and I can, yeah yeah mm. and I can remember him saying to me before the meeting started so sort of taking notes I've wrestled with a problem tonight okay what is it thinking is your papers haven't gone out or yeah, hasn't yeah. run off enough agendas or something like that see that guy over there so it's like oh she's done look so I'm looking <laughs> yeah as one does yeah <laughs> take a look at that him but don't look and I didn't recognise the, the gentleman and yeah, it turns out he was bringing along um, a grant application and mm. at the time one of the things that we asked people to do was when they were making a bid to this particular fund mm. that they brought it to the meetings to the partnership yeah, in order yeah, for yeah, people yeah. to Makes sense. You know, know about it mm-hmm. not with any um, authority over whether it was succeeded mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. but that they knew about it and uh, so this gentleman was doing what we had asked as a partnership mm-hmm. the, the, the community group mm-hmm. to do the, the chair sort of said to me, the problem we've got is that um, he's a scab. And the, the, pre- uh, the, the use of that term in the present uh, tense, over 20 years, just over 20 uh, years uh, since, is, right, is incredibly yes, telling. Yes, yes, and Mike could, tell, yeah. could tell that the chair was, was generally not sure what to do. He knew, however, that he couldn't exclude him. Mm. And let's be honest, we didn't have queues of people around the corner wanting to come and join these meetings. So any new blood, any new attendance, any new spaces... Yes. Was intuitively was a, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah. could we could demonstrate that we yeah, 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 were professional yeah, about yeah, decisions, yeah. that we were that we were non-judgmental and everything else. But of course, this was really challenging the, the chair and challenging his principles. Mm. You know, I can only just about remember the minor strike. Mm. But what I did know from working in the various communities and, and knew it anyway, I suppose. But what really kind of made me acutely aware was how traumatic an experience and divisive that that episode was. 
Absolutely. And I said, well, I'm sure asked the vice chair to, mm. to chair it. I don't think he necessarily would have found it any less, mm. perhaps, difficult, but um, he hadn't mm. been a minor, so perhaps, you know... Well, yeah. And I can remember, and, and generally, you know, with the moral judgment, well, what do we do? What do we... How do I respond to this? Mm. Because, to be fair, he is doing what we have trained him up as a chair mm. to do, is to prepare for the meeting. Mm-hmm. Are people comfortable? Are we, you know, covering the right business? Mm. Doing all of these things, but actually yeah. noticing who's come along. I have a massive amount of respect that he went ahead with that meeting and I know that he would have found that very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the gentleman himself would have found that difficult because if that was an issue in that meeting, mm-hmm. that was probably an issue most days, mm-hmm. most evenings, mm-hmm. you know, of every month and year since since the strike. Absolutely. And I, I don't know much more about the relationships mm-hmm. and individuals other than that particular episode, mm-hmm. but I think it really brings it home that sometimes in some of these communities, trauma has happened Mm-hmm. And it, the scars of that can run deep. Mm-hmm. Um, like Northern Ireland, absolutely. Um, Aberfan, you know, and, and, and you know, we've got them fairly close to home in South Wales as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But certainly, an episode that I will, mm-hmm. I will remember for for many years. Mm-hmm. I think they got the grant and they went and did what they did. And again, these gentlemen probably had no other contact, and that's perhaps mm-hmm. for the best. Well, maybe it would yeah. have been great if maybe in some sort of mediating process well, or with some sort of mediation well, process yes. these people can kind of resolve differences but um, that's far far easier said than done given that particular well, it's a very skilled thing mediation thing. I mean, it has oh, a lot of links with community work actually no, yeah, yeah, the same yeah, skills yeah. but I mean uh, I've got about a page about yeah. mediating in the book about people who do it and uh, they're highly, you've got to be highly skilled Th- that is something I would perhaps quite like to sort of touch on that, that, that role of mediation within mm. a community mm. setting because mm. I have had to draw on it in the past Mm-hmm. I have had to facilitate that process, and what I love was how actually there's work-based mediation yeah. in an in environment yeah. where colleagues yeah. aren't getting on, and then there will be sort of neighbourhood management type, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. feuding families on a housing estate, for instance, mm-hmm. and the housing mm-hmm. that has to bring in. Mm-hmm. But I think kind of community work, kind of particularly where the, you are a paid worker mm-hmm. as an outsider coming into those communities, actually straddles both of those yes I think it also yeah. applies very much in partnerships it seems yeah. to me I mean I mean, we haven't talked much about partnerships but in a way the Brosnan Action Committee was a partnership back in the 70s but we didn't think of it in those terms now but mm-hmm. again you've got mm-hmm. partnerships for everything I mean yeah. most local authority planners are, are involved in about, in, in, about, in about three or four and I say there's partnerships working in the local authority yeah but when you think of partnership, let's say public community partnerships, where you've got um, local authority people, planners, service providers, which were at the heart of the design of Communities First, that, and the, in, initially, that's initially, right. Initially, that's, that's right. Yeah, that, yeah. No, that's right. But you see, when when you bring people together, ideally, and there's a huge amount of written work on this, which I'm not hugely up with, frankly, but you need to ensure that uh, at, a, at a simple level. Everybody understands what everybody else is supposed to be doing, and, and even two different planners may have different perceptions of what they're doing. So, ideally, when you start off a group like that, you need to uh, get everybody to spend four or five minutes explaining what they do, and maybe repeat that from time to time. And then, when there's disagreement, then you maybe need to meet separately with, with the various parties, and there may be individuals that they may be groups to kind of work out the nature of their problem and then when you've met with each of the each of the groups separately then you bring them together but you you have rules like no, no, rec- no recriminations yeah. and then things like that yeah. can I say something more about the community action side because where my model I think is useful is the sense it gives those three things which is very easy to remember committed development, social action, social planning but when you look at social action there's a guy called Harry Specht wrote this article called Disruptive Tactics 
and there's about 10 kind of modes of influence action, yeah? And the four that stick to mind are collaboration, we are working in partnership, being nice to the other side. It's usually in, in Britain a planning department of some kind or a department which is planning for something in the area. Collaboration, uh, where you... Where, there's a campaign where, in fact, uh, they're going to do something you don't want, or they're not going to do something you want. And you, and, but you play by the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. You have meetings. You prepare your case. You get experts. You may, you may write letters to the paper, but they're not rude ones. And then contest, where in fact, actually, where in fact, you realise they're not going to budge unless you kick up a hell of a fuss, mm-hmm. and you, you try and embarrass people, or you have, uh, you have floats depicting. Uh, I don't know the, the Lord Mayor carrying a whip or so, or, or, or some something like that. Uh, so in terms of an influence strategy, there are the three main mm. dimensions of it. So if you, if I take uh, social action, you've actually got to divide social action. You've got to break it down. Sure. Yeah. And Speck's last category is actually a revolution, taking over the government by force, which of course you don't you you don't have this. It's as it were we're outside our our framework, but that's actually his fourth main yeah. category, yeah. which is insurrection. But the main point I want to make is a lot of these categories you actually have to break down uh, to make more sense of. And the other bit about social planning is that there are two main emphases of this, which is important to emphasise. One is where you are working directly with service providers, which I've given given several examples. The research about housing needs and satisfaction with the housing improvement program was, was one. But another example where is is and it's quite valid. A lot of community workers see a need for an advice service, for a community centre, for a community garden, whatever it is, and do work directly with service providers to get that themselves. And that's quite valid. And give you a tiny, tiny example, but it's valid. On the estate I worked, there'd been a few phone boxes. They'd all been vandalised, and people people didn't have mobile phones in in, in those days. They couldn't. Most people people didn't have phones in their houses either, and so we campaigned. It took us about three years to the, with the post office or the GPA, whatever they were then called, to put a telephone box outside our neighbourhood centre where it was less likely to get vandalised. Now we could have got a community group to campaign for that, but that seemed to be a bit. Mm. A bit, 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 bit. I mean, clearly, it was needed, mm-hmm. and so we liaised with the general post office, as it was then called, to get this telephone box. And it was used. It was hardly vandalised. It was occasionally. That's the example, if you will, of a social planning on a very small scale. But doing something for the community. It was based on a good analysis of community need. Quite clearly, people wanted, needed to use a box, and it made sense to get one. There's lots of examples like that which are valid. Now. It's right that community development workers should do those things. If they if you work entirely in that way, you're doing things for the for the community, mm-hmm. rather than working as an enabler. I would argue you're not really doing community development work because you're not getting the community to do things for itself. And part of your goal in terms of doing getting the community to do things for itself is creating capacity, not just to do the particular thing you're working in now, but when that's finished or concluded, they're then skilled up and they can do more other things. So you're building capacity for permanent ability to act in the community, which you don't do if you do things for people. But you've got to do some things for people because you've got to get the things there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the two dimensions of social planning. One, working upwards, working with these big service providers as well as with the community. And two, doing things for the community. Mm-hmm. So you, it's an example of how the categories are useful, but you have to break them down. Sure, absolutely. 
Alan's been absolutely fascinating. Could speak probably for another couple of hours. The absolutely. view is no less beautiful than the, <laughs> of the mumbles. In fact, the fog has sort of lifted a little bit. You can see even more now of Swansea Bay and, and the mumbles and the, and the Gower Peninsula. And I'm sure we'll be doing this again sometime. You referred to a couple of other thinkers, other writers, other mm-hmm. academics mm-hmm. around a lot of this theory, such as Rothman, mm-hmm. uh, Gabriel Chanan. I think it might be handy to maybe put a little suggested reading list together based on some of those, sure. just, to, just to kind of help. I'm very grateful for your time. There's a ton more that we could do. Yes, and I think yes. it would be lovely to do that. One of the things I'm particularly keen on is the use of technology, I suppose, you know, not too dissimilar mm-hmm. to what we're trying to capture mm-hmm. here today in the medium of a podcast, um, and the role of that in, mm-hmm. in, in community work. You touched on you know, trying to get phone boxes in communities in pre-mobile yes, phone right, days, right. and of course things have changed. The that's ways right. in which you can campaign have changed. The ways well, in which true. you can share information, the ways in which you can campaigning online people. and all that ab- ab- absolutely you know there's communities that exist almost solely online Our bars and people you know, like the ways in which you can involve people in the decision making process mm-hmm. even if they can't make a meeting or or whatever I think is incredibly fascinating in, in this role and I think again we were talking off air you know there's not a huge amount written about some of that and the new edition of the book is, is touching on that yeah a couple um, of pages but there's probably a little bit more needs to be needs to be captured as not well. Not a North so, American literature I could put you in touch yeah, with actually. Yeah. Well and, and maybe you know this little old me with these podcasts might be, be some way in which we can um, you know sort of push that along on these shows. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah Alan Dilkeval once again thank you very Great much um, and until next time. That's okay.